All right. So um, like David said, my name is Kelsey Ruger. I am a consultant here in Houston. And uh, my general thing is I like to help businesses and professionals harness design and technology um, to help create products that people love. And a lot of that sort of stems from my childhood and my love of art and technology. And it's always been something that came really simple to me. And what really motivated me to create, I guess, this workshop and the lessons that you guys are going to be going through today was about, I guess, about 12 years ago, um, while I was working at one of the startups that um, I worked at early on, uh, the, CT, the CEO came to me and said, hey, we need to make our people more creative. And that really didn't sit well with me at the time because I felt like creativity wasn't something that you could just turn on and turn off. I thought that it's something that you have to work on, kind of like building muscle, um, that you have to work on it. And there's some techniques that you can use to make um, your creativity more fluid. Uh, and we're going to talk about a lot of that today. And so one of the, the primary questions that people will ask me is, how do you come up with more ideas? And David mentioned that um, I keep a set of index cards um, probably with me all the time. I, I do journal a lot, but there are certain things that I'm doing on a regular basis that helps make um, idea generation easier. And what I want to talk to you guys about today is um, a sort of something that I heard, I guess, about five years ago when we met some of the guys from Nordstrom Labs here in the United States. Um, they told us that there is no algorithm for awesome. And really what that means is there's no rote plan that you can follow and there's no sort of step-by-step -step guide, but there are things that you can do that will help make idea generation a lot simpler um, when you approach it. And sort of the way I talk to um, everyone about this is most of us grow up thinking, hey, when you have a problem, there's a straight line to a solution. When in reality, what we're actually doing is we're zigzagging all over the place. And that's even a little bit more complicated when you talk about idea generation, because there's these two stages of idea generation. There's the part where you're generating the ideas, and then there's the part where you're refining down to whatever it is that you're going to be looking at. But for today, what I'm going to have you guys start to shift from is shift from this idea from uh, problems and solutions to the idea of exploration and explanation. And uh, this is sort of at the core of how I approach idea generation is for me, idea generation is less about coming up with a list of things I know. And it's more about finding the right questions to answer for a particular audience or for a particular set of users. Um, and my background is in user experience. So a lot of what I do when I'm generating content ideas is exactly the same thing that I would do if I was generating a product idea. Identifying an audience, making sure that that audience is actually looking for the things that um, I may have to offer and then figuring out what's the best way to deliver that to them. So what I'm gonna to talk to you guys about today um, is really right out of this grid that I came up with for um, my user experience class. And in some cases, I'll go into a situation and I'll know the answer, 
but I won't know what the right question was. And in some cases, I will go into a situation and I will have a question, but then I need to go find the answer. And in some cases, especially with product development, you run into situations where both the, the question and the answer are ambiguous. And that's really where we spend a lot of time doing design thinking things. And so what I'm gonna to talk to you guys about um, from a content perspective, um, really kind of falls in this lower left-hand quadrant um, where there's a clear question and you wanna focus on um, how you can deliver content that's, that's really based on a specific problem. All right, so at its simplest idea generation for me is combining old elements to create new ones. And David mentioned that I keep a box of index cards. Part of the reason I keep the index cards is they're very portable. They allow me to quickly look up old ideas that I may have had on a topic and combine them with new things that I'm learning or new things that I have picked up along the way. And so what I want you guys to sort of think about when you are looking for content ideas is what do you know that you can combine or what do you know that you can take one element away from it to create something new? And I guess the, the first bit of advice that I would give everyone is don't focus on making the ideas perfect right away because you'll get a chance to kind of store those away or to refine them over time. Um, for those of you who hate, have read any of my newsletter articles, almost all of those start out as something and then by the time I'm done writing, it's something completely different. Or what I wrote on the index card is only loosely related to what is the final output. Um, and some of that, that comes from getting feedback from people. And some of that comes from turning the idea into my own um, as I work on it. There's three steps to this process that I wanna to talk to you guys about. One is, I call it getting your mind right, but really think of this as getting in the mindset of generating ideas and sort of changing some of the ways we think about generating ideas and some of the activities that we may or may not be doing uh, that lead to better ideas. <clears throat> the second thing is building your capacity. And the analogy I always draw with this is sort of the same analogy I would draw if someone was lifting weights. There's a lot of things that you can do initially to get yourself in shape, um, but there's also this idea in in weightlifting of chronic hypertrophy, hypertrophy, um, which is where you get muscle growth over time. And it's the same thing with um, generating ideas. If there's certain things that you're not doing on a regular basis, it makes it much harder to approach idea generation. And the third is what I call the Dory principle. And if you guys have seen Finding Nemo or Finding Dory, um, Dory is the fish who has um, short-term memory loss. And there's a scene in the first movie where she tells Nemo's dad to just keep swimming. And a lot of that, uh, that saying has a lot of impact when it when it comes to idea generation, sometimes you're going to think your ideas don't work. Um, and my my thing is do different activities that 
um, lead to better ideas over time. It, it may be an old idea that was bad initially that you eventually turn into a good idea. All right, so before we start, um, this whole thing about leapfrogging, this is one of the things that I teach um, agencies and I teach it in my class as well. Potentially the best thing you can do to increase your ability to generate ideas is to learn new topics. And so that's where this idea of leapfrogging came from because we were talking to agencies and they wanted to know how do you stay ahead of your competition or how do you come up with things when clients are bombarding you with um, new needs? And so we came up with this idea of leapfrogging. But before we start and you're, you're thinking about, well, how, what is it that um, I should start doing before we get into the exercises? Um, and there are some basic rules that I ask people to follow um, as far as as far as idea generation is concerned. And so there's six things that I want you guys to think about and think about um, idea generation, not just from a I need to come up with an article idea, but think about the problem that that article is solving and the fact that one, there's no such thing as an epiphany. If you think that people come up with ideas out of the blue, it rarely happens that way. What's probably happening is they're combining a lot of old ideas that they've had before. And at that moment, that's when they bubble up to their consciousness or their, to their conscious um, thought. I tell people, as soon as you get an idea, write it down. Uh, David and I did talk about the number of ideas that I have forgotten because I don't follow my own rule and I don't write it down. And when I think about it again, it doesn't make sense. Um, this is especially um, important if, you, if you're if you one of those people who gets a lot of ideas when they're sleeping. Um, try to keep something handy so that you can write those down because you never know when those ideas um, will come back together to form something. We're going to do an exercise um, that's sort of related to the next point, which is just nothing new under the sun. There's almost no new ideas out there. What's new is your unique twist on it. So if you are a graphic designer or you are a developer, lots of what you're going to write about may have been covered before. So if you are uh, a developer and you work with React.js, a lot of what you're going to write is going to be unique because it's specific to React. Or if you're a designer and you are making the switch from Illustrator to Sketch, and we all know a guy who who did that recently. Um, the ideas that you come up with will be different because of the topic or your unique um, sort of twist on it. So don't worry about it being 100% unique. I'm going to show you guys some techniques that I use to really quickly sort of twist things to make them my own. Um, probably my biggest advice with starting out is don't think about ideas, think about questions. So think about all of the questions that your potential audience may be asking and how you might answer that question. You're gonna get a lot more ideas for content that way. That's probably the, the my biggest area of um, ideas uh, ideas for me. I'll, I'll for, exa for example, uh, be sitting and watching a movie with my kids. We were watching, um, 16 candles a couple of weeks ago and i started to think to myself man i've watched a lot of john hughes movies over the years 
I wonder if I could write an article that is, here's all of the life lessons from John Hughes movies. And so that was one of the ideas that I wrote down because I felt like that would be a really good way to generate content. Um, so the third one or the fourth one that I'll talk about is always be capturing. So when you get in the habit of keeping something with you handy to write down your ideas, it makes it a lot easier. Um, it also makes it easier for you to capture new potential audiences. So if I am giving a speech at, for example, AIGA, I might write down something that's very specific to that audience um, so that I don't forget it. These last two are for, um, it could be you guys as a group, and I actually would recommend this as a batch, is if you guys can share ideas and then get what's called the Medici effect. So the idea behind the Medici effect is um, during the Renaissance, the Medici family financed a lot of artists and they moved into the same area. Um, and then you got this huge outburst of innovation and art because you had all of these people who had differing backgrounds and differing ideas that mixed together. And that combination of things created all of these new ideas. And we're going to talk about having a diverse group of friends or a diverse group of people that you go to. Uh, but the uh, potentially the number one limiting factor in being able to come up with new and unique ideas is having a very homogenous group of people that you talk to. So if you only talk to people who always have the same ideas as you, it's very rare that you're going to get something new and unique out of that because everyone's sharing the same stuff. Um, and sometimes that turns into to sort of an echo chamber where you're not getting all of the information that could make that idea better. Um, the second, the last thing that I will tell you is have a two-step brainstorming process. And typically when I work with groups, I ask people to generate ideas before we get together. And it's sort of the same Medici effect. Um, when you generate the ideas before you get together, it makes it a lot more fluid when, the, when everyone gets together and you have to combine ideas to come up with your final solution. All right. And I mentioned this earlier, but make sure you start with the problem in mind. So a lot of times when people ask me, what should I write about? The problem isn't that they can't come up with ideas is that they're not actually addressing anything. And sometimes when you're you're trying to address an audience, you need to make sure you understand them well enough to address the types of problems that they might have. And I know David and Sagid talk about this a lot at the beginning of the program, but identifying your one to two audiences um, and then having a very niche approach to generating content for them makes it so much easier. Uh, and I always tell, especially designers, that having constraints is actually a good thing because it forces you to be more creative uh, and you can come up with a lot more ideas that way. All right. So when I talk about getting your mind right, sort of think of a shift from focusing on just the outputs to focusing on the inputs. So someone asked in the in the chat before we started, do I gather feedback? Almost always gather feedback in one of two ways. Um, I'm very observant. We're going to talk about that skill, that skill set 
um, at the end of the, the presentation, but observing what people have problems with and capturing that is an incredibly valuable skill set to have. So if you're in a conversation with someone and they say, man, I really struggle with this a lot. Um, I don't know why I haven't thought of this yet. Um, or someone voices a pain to you, write it down. There's, it's eventually going to be something that you may want to bring into your writing or into a product that you're working on. A good example of this, um, I have a couple of friends that we do um, here in Houston. Um, during the holidays, they do this thing called Pop Shop Houston. And I have one friend who just launched a Kickstarter and his Kickstarter for me, it was really small. And I felt like, oh, he'll probably make that in a couple of weeks, but he hasn't gotten there yet. And so I was talking to him yesterday and he's like, yeah, I'm not really a marketer. I am a, you know, I'm a designer. He runs Ted Houston. Um, and so then I was talking to his, his girlfriend and she's a hand lettering artist. And she's like, yeah, I want to do this, uh, but I don't really know how to do it. And so it dawned on me there's a, a market for classes that teach people who are either makers or more creative how to market their skills. Um, and it never dawned on me until I was talking to them, but that's all about um, one of those ways of, of thinking, and that's what I call perception. And so it's not just this idea of, if someone's gonna sell something, they automatically know how to market it. Because I think that a lot of us think, um, if you create this product and people want it, they're going to come, but sometimes they don't. And that's one of those ideas that came to me yesterday. The second way of thinking or the second thing you have to think about is your mindset and how you think about generating ideas. If for you, generating ideas is a one-time thing that you do when you need to come up with a list, um, then this whole process becomes a lot more burdensome and hard because it's something that you should be doing on a regular basis. And the last thing I'll tell you about is what you tend to believe about things. Um, those all sound sort of soft and kind of fluffy, but it's been my experience that if you understand those three things and how you approach um, both product development or content development and the way you think about it, it becomes a lot easier. So. I'm going to walk you guys through um, and a set, an exercise that I use a lot to generate content. And it's what do you believe, what actions does that drive, or what values does that drive, and then what behavior comes from that. And the reason I like this is because when you, when you ask yourself these three questions that we're going to go through, it automatically generates a ton of directions that you can go either with a product or um, with content. And so if you say, what do you believe? I'm going to show you guys some of what some companies think. So Apple has challenging status quo. Nike has inspired the world to push beyond their boundaries. Disney to promote good, clean family fun. Um, and mine is to inspire people to use their natural creativity to impact the world. So if you look at all of these and you think about content that they produce, it falls in line with that. Um, and if you understand what it is you believe and why you believe those things, you automatically have a whole series of things to write about. So for me, I'll use myself as an example, because a lot of what I write about is 
centered on creativity and innovation, I immediately have a whole another set, a whole set of things that I can write about. But then if you combine the fact that I like to talk about leadership and personal development, and then you combine all of those things, it gives me a whole lot more to write about. And I sometimes will brainstorm a topic and then other times we'll brainstorm titles. Uh, but I'll talk to you guys about whether or not that matters at all here in just a second. So if you take your beliefs and you know what kind of drives you at your core and why you're writing um, what you're doing or why you guys join a side project accelerator, and then you bubble that up to, if you have these beliefs, what values do your beliefs drive? And so here, I'm gonna show you guys the belief sets that I came up with um, as a designer um, that sort of gave me a whole nother set of ideas that I could write about. Why does I keep doing that? Sorry about that. Okay, I see what's going on. Um, so let's let's focus on a couple of these things. So David and Sagi, you guys can look at this list. And I, since you guys have probably read some of my articles, you can probably look at this and see a couple of articles that were in there. Do you guys see that? Yeah, I'm going to them. Um, first of all, there's yeah. definitely so. Yeah. So yeah. this one, you don't have to have all the answers. That's definitely been an, an article. Yeah. So a lot of yeah. times, yeah. what all I'm doing is I'm going great. back to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So a lot of times, what I'm doing is I'm going back to core values and beliefs and saying, okay, here's what I believe. How does this apply directly to the audience that I'm talking to? What can I write about? And in fact, um, one of the things that I talk about a lot is you are not the user. So for, I'll give you a great example of how I have turned that into um, an article or content. So when I talk to user experience professionals about not being a user, it means you're ultimately not the consumer of whatever you're building. And so a lot of times when we write articles, we have to be careful to put ourselves in the user's shoes and to sort of think about the content from their perspective, especially if you are a manager. And this is one of those things I had to learn early on um, is just because something worked for me doesn't necessarily mean it will work the same way for everyone else. And so you could turn that into an article. And on top of that, you could turn your learning process about a topic into an article. So once you really start to think about just these two things, you can get so much content out of those. Um, and then if we move on to the third question um, and you think about value leads to behavior and this sort of, this, this thing came out of me thinking about uh, people asking me, how do you build a great company culture? And I started to break it down and I said, well, it starts with belief then you build values and that actually builds behaviors that leads to artifacts. And so a lot of times when people think about company culture or the culture of, um, I guess, of the culture or the personality of a newsletter or a blog, they're looking at the end result and not actually what the people are putting in. And so if you have ever saw me write about behaviors, it's also important to understand the beliefs and values that drive um, sort of the thinking that goes into 
a particular article. And so now, if I wanted to combine just these three things, I could talk about the belief that you're not the user and why you have to prototype um, with people who are going to use it, or the belief that you're not the user and why um, lean startup technologies, lean startup methods work when you're not quite sure who the user is. And so just these three things I use a lot to sort of drive um, my brainstorming on particular topics. Um, I'm also a pop culture person. So if I can draw a reference to um, something that's going on that's current, that also helps me bring make it more relevant to people as well. So this is sort of the model that I use. So the culture comes from beliefs, values, behavior. And so that's sort of the personality that either my newsletter or blog is going to have, or if it's a product, it's the personality of a product that leads to the choices I make. So for example, I, David will tell you, I've purposely chosen not to do certain things in this particular newsletter because I understand the audience pretty well. And I know that that's going to drive um, the artifacts or, or get better outcomes from that. And actually, I was going to pause here, um, David and Sigi, if you guys had any questions you wanted to jump in with or if there's any questions popping up in the chat. Jesse, I, love, I think just one thing I want to say is I love that um, your approach to like generating ideas and creativity is so, uh, it's like very calculated and follows this kind of formula. And it's something that I think kind of blew me away the first time that we talked. That, it, that what you said at the beginning just really struck home that um, I don't remember the exact line. You said something like there are creativity doesn't just uh, just doesn't just come to you. There's no there's no epiphanies is what you said. And I right. think that that point just really like struck home with me that, oh, actually, yeah, you really have to have work, work on, on coming up with this. You really it's this is a process. You have to set aside time. You really have to. It's not something that's just going to happen. Uh, you know, wake up one morning. Right. So I'll, I'll add two things really quick. I, I don't know if I call it a process. It's more of a framework for me because it's never linear. Like I might, you know, be looking at a book, which technically is the output and it drives some thinking, but it's all the same framework for me. All right. So, um, how do you, how do you start doing this quickly? Because a lot of times I'll talk about that and people will say, whoa, <clears throat> that's a lot of stuff to sort of think about. Well, one of the things that I figured out a long time ago is that you, you can do certain things that will help you stay sort of fluid and flexible with this. My favorite thing to do is morning journaling. And this is actually something that Julia Cram Cameron talks about in her book, The Artist's Way. It's 15 minutes every morning free handwriting. If you don't like handwriting, you could type it in. But the whole idea is to write for 15 minutes. It doesn't have to make sense. Just get it all out of your head. Um, one, the art of or the act of writing stuff down. And I know David can tell you this, guys, because he just finished the 30 day writing challenge. Or I guess you're still in the middle of um, well, I finished, but the last the last uh, three days. But the art, the act of writing stuff down generates ideas because there's certain processes I think that don't fire 
until you are um, writing stuff. And I actually am one of those people that believes that writing stuff down with your hands is different than typing. I think it it activates different parts of your brain. I don't know if there's any scientific research to support that, but it's. I actually will tell you I have a lot more ideas when I'm doing stuff analog versus digital. Um, so I keep my morning journal. I keep index cards with me. I write one thing down per index card, and then I may come back to it to add stuff to it. But those two things I have with me every day. Um, I should have probably flipped these last two. Um, and this third one is going to sound um, like it doesn't make sense when you're trying to generate ideas. But I go through periods where I purposely will avoid new information. Don't get on Facebook. Don't get on Twitter. Um, I will, if, if I read, it's going to be a very specific thing or it's going to be me going through my index cards because what I'm trying to do is force myself to use my brain. And I think especially with the availability of the information that we have now, turning off the faucet or the spigot at times and just relying on what you already know and writing that down is really helpful. Um, especially if you're, if you're thinking about content, I can't tell you how many times that I would have just been better off writing the article instead of reading 40 articles about what I already knew about um, versus, um, you know, just write it and then get the feedback that you need from people. Now, if it's something that's scientific and you need to make sure you have support, you need to go do that. But the information fast helped me a lot. Um, and then this idea of high intensity intervals, I actually got from working out with a trainer. Um, and the idea is that you get, in fitness anyway, you get better results if you are exercising at a high intensity in intervals versus trying to go jog for three miles. Um, typically, you carry lower body fat, you um, build more muscle. And so I sort of adopted that idea to the way I think of ideas. And so here's one of the exercises that I would tell you guys to do. And when I send out this uh, presentation to David and Sigi, um, you guys can pick up this page and sort of use this to generate your ideas. And so the first step I will do is I write down a list of every single skill set I have. And it don't, don't restrict this to what you think the topic of your blog is about. And this is an important thing. If you know how to bake cookies, write it down. If you can um, repair motorcycles, write it down. And I'm going to talk about that um, in step five. The next thing is write down your knowledge area. So if you are knowledgeable about Western European history, write it down. Um, because what's going to happen is we're going to go through a process of combining all of these things. Then you write down your passion. So for me, it was creativity, innovation, design thinking, visual design, software development. I wrote all of that stuff down. Mobile strategy, I wrote all of it. Then you go through this step that I think a lot of people miss, especially if you are um, building a newsletter. Write down all the communities that you're a part of and all the communities that you um, 
could be a part of, especially um, if it's like a startup community, the design community. Um, some of you may be a part of the makers community. Write all of those down. Um, and then when you get to step five, what you're going to start doing is combining different pieces. So, for example, um, one of the, the ideas that I recently came up with um, was iPhone photography for expecting mothers. Or you take another spin, you do iPhone photography for marketers and how you can or how I can help marketers learn how to use their iPhone for photography. Um, this step is really critical because then if you take the exercise that we talked about earlier with your beliefs, your <clears throat> values and your behavior and you combine it with this list, you could probably come up with a hundred ideas out of those things alone. That the, the, the thing that you have to do is go through this process of getting your list together and then combining them. And I wrote down scamper and metaphor. Um, scamper is actually a method that um, we use a lot. So it's like separate, combine, subtract. Um, each one of those is an algorithm, is a, is a letter in a acronym that you can use. And I'll send David and Sigi a link to um, that as, as well. Um, and then using metaphor. So if your skill is like something else, or if you can draw an analogy between um, that skill set and what it does for the audience, you get a whole other set of things that you can do. So a lot of this is just understanding that you probably already know everything you need to know to come up with the ideas. It's just pulling them out of your head and then getting them um, in a format that you can use on a regular basis. So the next thing that you're going to want to do um, is what I call the 100 question challenge. Uh, and I actually wrote about this in my last um, newsletter. This is where you're going to you sit down and you write out 100 questions that you have. Um, and for some of you, it may be 100 questions that your audience, that your audience may have. Just write out as many questions as you can, as you can think of. Um, and try to get to 100. Um, if it takes, it's probably going to take you about 40 minutes the first time you try this, and then it gets easier over time. Right now, what I would recommend is do it once. Use your 100 questions to generate content ideas along with the other exercises, and then do it on a monthly basis. The, the act of asking questions has probably been the single most beneficial thing to me. Uh, and I'm a naturally curious person. Um, and so if you're asking yourself questions like, how could a designer use YouTube? Or can a designer learn how to code? These don't, are things that you don't have to have answers to, but they're going to lead you down a path where finding that solution could be another content idea for you. All right. <clears throat> so the next stage in this process is really building your capacity for ideas. And this is where um, everyday activities that you do are going to come into play. And so David uh, and Sagi and I, we did an interview, I guess it was about five weeks ago. Um, and I told them that I read probably 150 books a year and reading 
and being able to combine ideas from different sources um, will probably become your biggest source of new ideas because you're taking information that you may not have had before and you're combining it with things that you already knew um, to come up with something new. So my newest thing that I've learned, I haven't figured out how to combine this into um, a content idea yet, but I actually took a woodworking class about four weeks ago. And it was such a new experience for me that when I was standing there, I was like, man, there's going to be all kinds of content ideas that come out from this because I'm learning new equipment. I'm learning to do things that um, I don't do on a regular basis. So um, that seeking out new experiences also contributes to your ability to generate content. And we talked a little bit about diversity earlier. I think diversity, um, particularly um, with the types of content you're consuming or the types of people that you interact with and have kind of conversations with um, has a big impact on the um, the fluidity of your ability to generate ideas. Um, observing um, and listening, those are, are skills that, you know, I, I guess about four years ago, I would have said, oh, everybody knows how to do that. But I don't think everyone knows how to sort of just observe what's going on and kind of pick out um, some of the things that you may be seeing as potential problems that an audience may have or even a, a potential um, product idea. One of the things that my friends and I will do is we will look at how people are using current project or current um, products and what they're doing to hack them. And so one of the things we noticed recently is that people were taking still pictures or they would take pictures on Instagram um, and it would just be someone standing there, but they'd play music over it. And so we're like, well, Instagram should have a way where you can add music to a still picture. And so just watching how people use things will yield a lot of results for you um, if you use that well. Um, and I turn this, the, the next one blue, because I think um, when I talk to people about brainstorming and idea generation in business, they always tell me, well, we don't have time for that. Or um, we could do it while we're working. And I always have this analogy that um, my grandfather told me, and he's like, you can't fix an engine while it's running. And so if you are um, busy every day and you're trying to fit this in, remember that you, you do have to take breaks that are specifically designed to help you get out of that pattern. And I call it playing or priming with play. And so one of the things I would recommend, have tons of either card decks or board games that you can use that are related to, um, I guess, stimulating your brain and getting you thinking. So things like categories. Um, if you guys um, go look at Barnes and Nobles, they have tons of games um, that, are, that fit that purpose. And I'm going to talk more about skills and habits here in just a second. Um, and so we're not going to do this exercise, David, because this is actually one of those things that we have to do in person. And I, should, I forgot to take this slide out. Um, but really, it's an improv game that we do um, that gets people thinking laterally. So the idea is um, one person starts 
doing something um, and the other person asks them what they're doing. But when you respond, you cannot respond with the thing that you're doing. So if you and I were doing it and I said, hey, David, what are you doing? And you were, um, you know, making the action that you were sweeping the floor, you might say painting the room. And so I would start painting the room. And so the whole idea is to get people thinking laterally. And so uh, it gets them um, outside their normal pattern of thinking. Okay, so our last thing that we want to talk about from that is what we call habits. And so there's uh, four habits that um, I'm going to recommend that you, you, you really focus on because these are probably, I would say they're probably the most important skill sets that you can develop going forward, um, particularly if you um, are a freelancer or you're working in a small business, because these skill sets um, are really around helping you deal with the quick changing environment that we live in. So this first one, resourcefulness, is really about being able to solve a problem when you don't have access to the things you might think you need for it. Um, and I use this a lot when I am getting close to a deadline for a newsletter and I'm like, oh man, I haven't written anything. What am I going to write about? So a lot of times having my card deck available is how I come up with those ideas. So I'll look back at things I've written and I'll look at ones that I know I can do in the time period I have. If I hadn't um, kept those available, I would st I'd be in the same boat as anyone else as I've got to generate an idea. I don't have any content pre-written. And so a lot of my cards have content pre-written on them and I'll use that, that to generate um, the content that I need for that day. The next thing is resilience. And I know David posted an article about typos and uh, mistakes when you send out the, the mass mailings. I can't tell you how many times that I will look at a newsletter I sent and I'm like, oh, man, I forgot this. Or I hope nobody sees that typo because it's going to happen. Um, the, the key is to focus on. Um, continually improving and understanding that um, don't freak out about the mistakes you make and, and the things that don't work. So you're going to come up with lots of ideas that suck and they're not going to be great. But I think if you, one, are authentic about who you are when you're writing and you're authentic about where you're coming from, it's going to connect with your audience. And um, a lot of times they'll just tell you, hey, this wasn't that great. Um, but I have a feeling that if you guys are doing a really good job of one, identifying what it is you, you want to write out at, write about at the core and then sticking with that, you almost never run into that problem. And the audience you develop, um, will appreciate that. Um, the third is your ability to identify and adjust suddenly when things change. Um, and, I always tell people this skill set is important because there's going to be times when you think you have a, a topic down. Uh, and I'll, a perfect example um, for me, and I think David and I may have talked about this. I hadn't intended 
to write an article about goal setting. And I started doing some research and I realized that my whole thought process about goal setting was wrong. And so it meant that I had to kind of go back and say, well, I still believe certain things about this, but what drives it? And so I had to be able to quickly turn that around and say, okay, I was wrong. What do I do with that? So being able to um, respond to changes, I mean, it could be something else, but um, being able to respond and make quick adjustments for that um, is important. And for me, this is probably my favorite one, and it's just being able to take something that already exists and improve it or reuse it for something else. Um, the best example I can give of this is um, taking an older article that maybe was written by you or someone else, looking at all the points that they have, and then rewriting it for this year. Or taking all of the points that they have and maybe talking about why those points don't work. And so you're taking something that already existed. You're not throwing everything away, but you're repurposing that content um, without affecting the meaning of the original content. All right. So the second half of this habits and skills um, thing that I talk about is what I call meta skills. And so meta skills are the skills you have that help you develop other skills. Um, and this concept was actually originally um, talked about by a guy named Marty Neumeyer. His five skills are a little bit different than the ones that I tend to tell people about. Um, and so uh, there's two in the set that I, I really want you guys to kind of think about, and it's seeing and questioning. Um, and David, actually, if you guys want, I can actually, this whole section could be a whole workshop by itself. Um, but we could talk about that later. Okay. Um, but seeing, um, think about seeing as being able to see problems as systems. So if you guys think about um, the way, I'm gonna use designers, for example, the way most of us grew up in the web and learn how to design was by the page because that's what we were being given because that was a direct metaphor uh, for what we had been doing on a desktop. But if you look at what we do now, most designers spend their time building systems because you may have a heading or a button or some feature of a website that's used in a thousand different places. So looking at it from the page perspective doesn't work. Uh, and the reason I like to use that analogy is because really to understand systems, you have to take a step back and see it at a higher level um, so that you can understand how to put all the pieces together. That's really, really important for content generation because if you want to tackle a big topic like say design thinking, or you want to tackle, um, let's say you are going to write articles about sketch. Well, the first thing you need to do is kind of take a step back, understand how Sketch works and how it relates to other tools that designers are using uh, before you can dive in and really do the detail because you never know when you have to come back out, explain it at a higher level before you dive back in. And so being able to jump between sort of detailed thinking and system thinking is a really important skill set. 
and then questioning and your ability to learn new stuff. I don't want to say on the fly, but I would say sort of striving to learn new things, especially things that are related to what you guys are going to be doing on your blogs or in your product is really critical. <clears throat> and like I said, David, um, improv is another one that I think is really critical because <clears throat> as you start writing, um, there's going to be times when um, you're going to have to come up with things off the top of your head and understanding how improv works and those skill sets um, will be a definite um, boost to your ability to generate new ideas. Uh, all right. So to really get you guys sort of started, um, I'm going to give you several different things that I do on a regular basis um, that help me with generating ideas. And this first one <coughs> really is right out of the, the Disney storybook or the Disney handbook. And it's <coughs> excuse me, being able to tell stories. And what I use this for, instead of just using ideas or post up, I actually share stories about each of the ideas. So if I have a article idea written down, what I may do is ask someone to sit down with me and I'll tell them why I think that story is important. This is one of those cases where you want to keep a, a handheld recording device, if it's your phone or a separate device or your computer, um, keep that device handy because you're not going to write down everything that you do in your story time. Um, I wrote an article on my blog about storytelling and to, to uh, get that point across, I actually told a story about um, a student in a class um, right after the Enron collapse here in Houston. And so that whole thing came from telling that story to someone else. Um, so using stories to sort of beef up your ideas or to think through new ideas is something that I do regularly. It also makes them more human. Uh, people love stories. And I will tell you guys the newsletter editions that I have gotten the most feedback on are ones that are personal stories. Um, one was, um, about some, the time I spent when I worked at Prodigy. And another one was an actual story where I told it, um, as a story versus me writing it from an authoritarian standpoint. And so, um, use stories. They work really well. The other thing that David mentioned earlier, and I will, once we finish, I'll pull out my, um, thought catalog. <clears throat> but this is just my group of index cards that I keep together um, to sort of think through new ideas, new products that I might want to work on, um, I, or just cataloging things. So I might keep photos. I might um, keep the notes from a book. But I don't group it by book all the time. I group it by idea. And I'll sort of walk you guys through how I have mine um, organized here in just a second. A what's next board. This actually would be great for you and Sagi to use, David. So the what's next board is a trend watching method. And so we have different categories that may not be mainstream yet. Um, it could be pictures. It could be people, ideas, products, random ideas. 
um, that we post up in a central location um, and everybody can see it and sort of add to each of the topics. And if you think you want to take one of the topics on, you take it down off of the board um, and then you write about it, do your prototype or whatever is going to um, be done with that. And when you're done, the idea is that you either add it to a group thought catalog or you put it back on the board depending um, at what stage the idea is at. So being able to see what other people are thinking, especially about stuff that is emerging, is a really good way to come up with what I would call innovation topics. <clears throat> All right. So um, my favorite thing to do um, for people that are new to doing this is setting a quota. So it's the number of ideas you come up with um, in any year and period of time. So maybe a day. Um, I also tell people, does it have to be an idea? It could be 10 questions. And for 10 a day um, in a year is actually how many people are in the group, David? Uh, we have uh, nine, uh, eight people right now. Can you hear me, Kelsey? Yep, I can hear you. Oh, okay. So that number is that number's a little bit off. But the whole idea behind this is set a quota for yourself every day. The idea may not be great that day, but it may be awesome 30 days from now. Um, so make sure that you are sort of thinking through this process is everyone can be creative. It just you have to have a method for doing it on a regular basis to help you get through that process. All right. Um, so that is the presentation, cool. David, if you want to put us back on yeah. camera actually let me stop sharing there right. and um we can ask ask i can ask some answer some of the questions um that we have here our people have other questions um that they have that they want me to answer yes if i can ask about the what's next board because um i kind of missed um how that works so i put up different topics so it might be technology design um, people and then you put your new ideas underneath the right category and so people can you know, see um, where, where they're related it's post-it notes that we use uh, and in some cases what people will do is they'll put it in one category and then they'll draw a line to another category so like if it's a new technology that they think people might want to use they'll want to connect people and technology uh, and remember it's really early stage stuff so it's really to generate ideas more so than to answer questions at that stage um, I'm thinking do we want to go through the questions that are on here and maybe we'll invite the person who asked them on on a screen because I know that some of the sure. questions actually a lot of them you you already answered in the presentation but maybe they have like a follow-up so sure um, all right um, you here you want to come on on screen? Hey, how are you? Hello. Hey. Great. Uh, the, I don't have a follow-up, but uh, I think uh, still my question is uh, maybe it's a little relevant. Uh, how do you decide what the audience uh, want to know? Because you have a lot of... Okay, sorry. So there's a couple... Yeah, there's a couple of things that I do on a regular basis. 
I ask people all the time. So if there are, and I ask the people who are engaged. So if someone emails me and says, Hey, I really liked your article. I'll, I'll ask them flat out. Hey, what, what do you think I missed? Are there other topics that you want to cover? Um, and they'll almost always give me a bunch of answers back. In fact, I probably have eight or nine topics that people have given me that I just haven't written about yet. Um, and so a lot of times I'll ask, I look at which topics they respond to the most and I sort of keep a catalog. So if they respond, it's kind of like when I told you guys they responded well to story format, I made a note, I should write more stories. Um, and paying attention to what people um, react to is really, really important because a lot of times people don't know what they want when you ask them directly. Um, and I know David and Sagi have probably seen this. You can ask people and they'll say they want one thing and then you write the article and nobody reads it. You're lucky if it's only an article and not a whole product. <laughs> right. <laughs> so test, test a lot, ask people. Um, test certain bits of types of content for you guys. I'd say test different newsletter formats along the way because you're really early on too. Um, and some some bits may work, some bits won't. Like um, David and Sagi do the the gift of the week. Mm. <coughs> that might not work for you. So I'm great. Thanks. <coughs> All right. Let's cool. <laughs> Thank you. Um, should we go on to the next question? Sure. All right. Here. Thank you. And next Thank question you. is, okay. wait, I will kick you off and invite on. Uh, uh, Maria had, had to go to work. Yeah. Um, so I will ask this question. Uh, <laughs> or I guess really you covered it also about gathering feedback. But Kelsey, anything you want to follow up on that? Um, regarding well, first feedback? of all, she has the most awesome last name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'd say ask for feedback often. <clears throat> and make sure you have some people in your audience who are willing to tell you, man, that really sucked. Because a lot of times people won't tell you um, if they don't like something, they just stop reading or they unsubscribe. And so... I know David and Sagi have a thing on theirs um, where they talk about getting feedback from people if they unsubscribe from your newsletter. Um, and some people will tell you. We actually, surprisingly, we get a lot of uh, responses from this. I mean, you know, yeah. good or bad that we have people unsubscribing, but we get a lot of responses from right. it. And it's pretty interesting. Um, and, you know, actually, a, a, a lot of times we find out it's just uh, someone says, oh, I had two emails subscribed, so I removed one. And you say, okay, it's nothing bad. But sometimes, um, for instance, when we did uh, launch the Side Project Accelerator, we sent a lot of emails out to our list. And we're always wondering what's the right amount of emails to send or if the email so – we sent a lot of like article-style newsletters out instead of just a list of links. And then we got unsubscribes and we got feedback on it. You know, Some people said, um, I don't want any articles. I only want the list of links. Stop sending me articles. So that actually led to us um, adding uh, Update Your Preferences page and allowing people to kind of – choose if they want just a list of links or the article style. So definitely that's a, a good way to get feedback. I, just, I guess okay. asking for feedback is, is the thing. Because, uh, it's very easy not to ask when you're providing content and when you're putting content out. Mm -hmm. But 
asking for feedback is something that uh, people will give feedback back. Yeah. I, I think also um, one thing that at least I know I didn't really stress enough when asking for feedback on, on content I was creating, and now I realize the importance of it, is anecdotal feedback. More so, more, more so than like, um, I had this idea like I have to send out a survey, I have to do something you know, massive to get feedback from my entire list or from my entire audience. And I realized that anecdotal feedback, even from, you know, even from a friend or someone that you can just talk to and really ask them um, about what they thought about your content, whether it's your article or your newsletter, can be, mm -hmm. can be significantly more valuable than just, you know, random survey, anonymous survey responses. Yeah, so one of the things that um, I get a lot of feedback on is people will say, man, can you put the articles on your website so I can share them? And the whole idea was for the newsletter to kind of be exclusive, right? And so if you're not on a newsletter, you don't get certain content. But I've had enough people say, I want to share it, where it's making me think, I wonder if I put the newsletters on the website, would the newsletter grow faster? because people shared the article on the website. So that's one of the things that I've gotten feedback on that I might change here in the next couple of weeks. So, Yeah, it's, uh, I remember in the Paul Jarvis session, he discussed this a lot too. He had the same issue where he says that he basically came to the solution of putting the, uh, some newsletter issues on the website, but putting them later. Also, Tobias von Schneider mentioned that too, that he, he put his, newslet his uh, newsletters into articles like a week or two later. But yeah, it's a tough it's a tough balancing act to decide if your if the exclusivity is more valuable than the shares generated. Right. So this this next question, um, how long did it take me to write the first article? My first newsletter that I did as a part of the side project accelerator probably took me twenty five minutes to write. Now, the only reason it took that long was because it's a topic I talked about all the time and I had written about before. And so um, maybe they want to know how long it takes me to write an average article versus the first one. The first one, I picked a topic that was easy because we're in the accelerator, accelerator, and I was like, oh, crap, I have to write an article. Let's write something easy. So, yeah. Um, well, you say... It was a topic that you've written about before, but I mean, I imagine I imagine it wasn't just that. I imagine that it was an idea that you probably already had the idea out. You probably had some portions of some like nice sentences that you liked, and some like portions of content already created for it. So it was kind of like a piecing together act more than just writing it from scratch. No. Um. Yes, and a lot of times when I write, now I will record it first. So it might be me forcing my kids to sit there and listen to me talk about it for fifteen minutes. And then I'll go back and write because for me, talking it out usually is a lot easier. Like if we took this this recording and we wrote it out, it probably would easily be twelve pages. And do you transcribe it or something, or it just do you listen to it and then? I, I sometimes I transcribe it if I feel like it was good content that I can just translate to writing. Other times I'll just write. Um, about it. Hmm. I see a couple of questions that we probably in the chat. I was, I was like, how do you guys keep up with the, the questions in the chat too? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but that's a really good technique. I, I wanted to add on to um, 
when you were talking about the idea generation, one thing I do is I, I use Evernote on my phone if I'm like quickly going somewhere and I, um, mm -hmm. I record Evernote has text notes you can create, but it also has audio notes really easily. So I create audio notes sometimes and just do the ideas in audio note. Yep. So when we are, um, when we get down to the thought catalog, I'll grab a bunch of the stuff that I use. You guys are going to be like, why do you have all that stuff? But. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, next question from Anna. Maybe I'll invite Anna on screen. Sure. All right. And Sagi and I had our one-on-one -on -one with Anna today, so we talked um, about this, and I think that, and she was really excited for the session. So I think she will have some um, questions to follow up on. Hey, Anna. Hey. Hello. Hello, guys. Well, actually, I have two questions, and uh, the first question is about the audience. Because uh, you talked about uh, your culture and your beliefs, but how did you choose your audience? Because it's something, it seems like there's something that comes from you and the audience, I don't know, that finds so you or something. So what I realized, so, uh, you know, and I, we didn't talk a lot about my background. So I have a background as a developer, as a designer, as a marketer. So. A lot of the people who are reading my newsletter come from different professions. And so I figured out really early on, I wasn't targeting a profession. I was targeting people who thought a certain way about things. Um, people that were interested in things like user experience and how products affect people. People who under, who were interested in the psychology behind why we do certain things. Um, and, Almost every newsletter hits the mark. And so I think I'm on the right path. Um, but that's the way I figured out the audience was a lot of looking at people who had read content that I've produced in the past or people that had attended presentations that I had done and what they tell me they liked about it and what they didn't like about it and sort of hone it kind of focusing in on the pieces that they liked versus pieces that they ignored. And I think probably at least in our batch, I had a little bit of a head start over other people because I had been producing content before and I could go back and look at what people actually consumed versus didn't. So do, do you have a recommendation for someone with no audience <clears throat> currently? Because on the, on the one thing there is like, in the US, mm -hmm. you're not the user, so I should not write. Do you have do you, like to people just like me? Do or, you have a, a specific problem that you're trying to address? No, there are a lot of problems, but I will I will try to make them more like questions. So here's here's a good way. Like if you let's say you're gonna write a blog about design and you didn't want to target designers, but you're well connected to the startup community, you could write a newsletter about design for entrepreneurs who live in a specific area. That's one way to find a niche. You could take a, it kind of goes back to that exercise that I was saying, list all your skills in your communities and then find the ones who want what you have or they've identified a, a thing that they need that you're willing to write about. It's always harder to write into the ether and you don't know, right? Yeah. 
I'm also a UX designer, so it's really, I feel like worlds collide. So here's, a, here's another interesting thing I did with a friend of mine. Like I probably have a thousand books on bookshelves here. And so I was organizing books and I said, I wonder what kind of book I have the most of. Turns out it's not design books and it's not development books. It's like psychology books two to one, huh. right, over over those two topics. And I was like, maybe that's one of my passions. I should write a lot about that because it's something I'm passionate about. There's a direct connection to nearly every community that I'm a part of. And it's easy for me to translate, you know, why people make decisions and how that affects the way they, whether they use your product or not, you know. Right. And I have another question. You said about the way you organize your uh -huh. uh, cards. I also use two cards, but you said it's not by, by the topic, it's by something You broke else. up a little bit. Like the problem. Are you asking how, how I organize the about cards? The Hold on, let me grab the, yes. the box real quick. Oh, the card. <laughs> Wait for him to come. It's going to be later. 30 <laughs> boxes coming from the garage. <laughs> Oh, well, wow. it's a lot of Okay, hold on. <laughs> so, um, this is a, a stat. This is actually for a, it started out as a newsletter article and it's grown into a blog post. And so, for me, if I'm carrying it, like if I take this out of the box, I color code it so I remember if it's a blog post or an article. That's just me. You don't have to do that. But um, in here, you'll see that there's like these notes came from my journal from like three years ago. And so I took them out and put them in inside the box. She has a skin. I really like I really love methods and all my papers so are can, organized there. You can see there's tabs in there with top so really connect to that um, and then so like this section right here oh i keep bringing that thing down so this section is all product ideas there's like 48 of them in here that i haven't gotten to yet um <clears throat> then i bundle stuff together so like this is um a possible book that i'm writing and david is what i usually do with each of my newsletters is I take all of the notes, bundle it back up, print out the newsletter and bundle it too. That way, if I go back to that topic, I don't have to go look online and pull down the article. It's all in here. And so typically what I will do is I will keep a couple of these with me when I'm writing until I'm done and then I put it back. Um, one, one thing that I'm in the process of doing is moving from these super giant cards to the smaller ones because there's no boxes that support these and so i ended up with like uh, like 1200 of these giant cards with nowhere to put them so i found this box which is a a photo box um online and i just put every and the only thing that freaks me out and i actually thought about getting a fire safe box is like what if the house what if the house catches on fire and all my cars burn up? And my friends are always like, if if your house catches on fire and that's what you're worried about, I'm like, that's like a 
But um, the, and the reason that bothers me is once when we are moving, and this is one of the reasons why I stopped doing only journals. We were moving, and the movers lost like fourteen of my journals. They were full. Oh wow! So, and that bothered me for a long time. No problem. It's part of your brain. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, yeah, Kelsey, that's amazing. This process. I wonder. I I'm just thinking to myself. I wonder if there's something you can do. Because you, your, you, your method of idea creation is so much, uh, so in depth. I wonder if there's something you could, that if there's content already just in the ideas, if you know the ideas themselves can be published somewhere, and there can be something made out of this. Yeah, and I always tell people this is not unique. I know um, Robert Greene, who wrote Mastery, and he wrote Forty Eight Laws of Power. He uses a very similar method, and God, Ryan. Um, What's his 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 uh, his assistant's uh, his former assistant's name? He's written like six books. Ryan Holiday. So Ryan Holiday does the same thing. He um, I know Ronald Reagan kept a set of index cards, and the running joke was he kept those because he was senile and he needed to remind himself. Um, I know a lot of people that that keep these cards. Um, I do do stuff digitally too. Um, it just it depends on what I'm doing with it. <coughs> hmm. um, so I think those are the last questions. Covered Anna's too. Um, guys, any last questions, ask them now or forever hold your peace. And um, in the meantime, Kelsey, anything, anything like last, like final takeaway you want to leave everyone with or just kind of a last thing you want to say to them before we sign off? Um, so here's kind of, I'm, actually, I'm going to pull some of this out and I will, under the writing category, show you guys kind of what I mean. Um, I write the topic in enough to remind me. So here's, I'm going to, I'll read off like 10 of my current ideas. People don't really want creativity, storytelling with your iPhone, and these will be all over the place. Five days, 50 frameworks. This is actually what I actually plan on doing. So basically, it's frameworks we use for design like points and um, what's the quadrant thing that we do when we're doing marketing, the matrix that we do, SWAT. So covering um, 50 frameworks, create. Here's one that came from someone else. They asked, hey, what do you do when people say creativity isn't their job? That's a topic in here. Uh, one of my friends told me she'd like to hear more about empathy and its importance in all job roles, um, visual thinking, habit building. Um, someone asked me to write, here's one that's uh, about the thought catalog. They're like, how does that work? Like, how does, how did you put it together? How do you write certain cards? Um, so you guys can see this is, 30 cards. Um, and so I will go, if I don't have anything that I'm currently working on, I'll go pull them out. And I have the same kind of thing for products. So if I'm, I'm thinking of, oh, I need, like if I were starting a side project accelerated today, I'd just go pull one of those out and say, I'm going to work on that. Mm. 
Um, I did have an idea late last month that I might do something at the beginning of the year, like 12 months, 12 startups, and try to do a new startup every month. Oh, cool. I, Peter Level stuff. So, like Peter Level. Yeah. So a, a lot of times for me, it's, I write down dumb stuff too. So I think that would be my parting thing is don't be afraid to write it down because you might think it's dumb. Um, but it, you never know. That's it. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Cool. Some advice. Kelsey, I'm just curious. What would you say is your rate of like, let's say execution on article ideas that you um, like ideas versus articles that come out of them? Right now, I mean, I do one a week. So if I, if I, yeah, if I had more time to write, I could probably do five or six a week. But say like, say it's at least one a week and how many like full blown ideas do you think you're generated per week? Uh, you mean usable ideas or just stuff I think of? Uh, look, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to understand and also give everyone kind of a benchmark is that you need to create, like what I get from you, that you need to create a ton of ideas in order to get like one article out of it. I, ma I imagine that you're not creating, you're not creating one single idea per week and then- Oh, that's what you're saying. You're, you're creating, Probably. I don't know, five, 10, 15 ideas per week on average and- or, like 30 or 40, maybe 50 okay. sometimes. 30, 40, 50 per week and one to three are getting written, let's say? Yeah, and they're not always articles. It might be, you know, I, I'm sitting in of the office and something makes me mad. And I'm like, that, that made me mad. And here's what it is. And I write it down because it's clearly a potential problem that could be addressed. Yeah. But I think it's important just to understand the sheer quantity, the volume that you have in order to produce like your, your great articles is, you know, like I, I, I keep um, some drafts and medium of articles that I, I like start writing or little ideas that I want. And I was thinking at one point, I remember I had like 30 unwritten drafts in there. I was thinking, oh, it's so much. What's the point of even coming up with more? And then I, like, you know, I have 30 ideas here already. And then I was talking to you and you're pumping out 50, 60 ideas a week, you know? <laughs> so it, you need volume of ideas in order to create um, good articles. <clears throat> yep. Um, so like I'll, I'll give you a, sort of another example. The that packet I showed you that might turn into a book actually came from a Jerry Maguire. That's a Jerry Maguire movie. So when the last time I watched it, I went back and I was like, I wonder if this, this is written somewhere. And turns out Cameron Crowe wrote the entire manual or the whole manuscript of the thing that Jerry Maguire wrote. It's like a 12 page fake manifesto that he wrote based on something some guy at Disney wrote and so it's like, huh, I wonder if I can dig that up. And so it started me thinking, if I were going to write my own manifesto, what would go into it? And what would be the talking points? And that's where that idea came from. So I, I got to leave you right now. My kids woke up. So I'll be back. But if uh, you guys finish by then, then Kelsey, it was great. Thanks so much. No problem. All right. Um, yeah, Kelsey, it, w it was really awesome. Thank you. No problem. Yeah. Um, and so let's, let's say, um, you're going to give, uh, slides will be available and also yeah. that's 
the activities and there's a book. Hold on, let me grab it. So I meant to take this out um, before, but it's called Thinker Toys. It's backwards now, but um, this is a, a great book by um, Michael Myelico. Um, and he has a ton of exercises in this book for generating ideas. He's the guy that came up with Scamper. Um, there's a exercise in here that the CIA uses um, called the Phoenix List. Um, so like, if, for example, like they actually use it to hone in on a problem. And the first question they ask is, why is it necessary to solve this problem? So if you think about content and you're wanting to write an article on a topic, asking yourself, why is it necessary to answer this question is a really good way to start the, the article, right? Like you can, that's the first paragraph. And so this is a great resource. I can send you guys a list of the resources that I recommend. Um, I have a ton of books like this because I use them to, to either create my own um, exercises or kind of think through some things. Cool. If everything you want to send, we'll post it on the, uh, the uh, page for the uh, session. And uh, for everyone listening, the beauty of this session is you get to follow up with Kelsey because he's in the Slack group. So take advantage of yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, so, a couple Kelsey, of people have been asking questions already. I think you'll have some more after today, too. <laughs> but um, yeah, thanks again. Was, by the way, Dave, uh, if okay. anybody's doing podcasts, this mic worked really well. I haven't been really close to it, and I think just at least listening to myself, the audio has been pretty good. Yeah, the sound quality is good, especially from that distance, yeah. So, cool. Thank you very much, Kelsey. No problem. And we will talk to you soon. Um, we will share all of the uh, stuff that you send. And uh, join us next week, everyone. We have uh, the guys from Good Fucking Design Advice. We'll be doing uh, same time, same place. Um, doing a session with them. So, all right, everybody. Have a good night or morning or afternoon. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Thanks, Kelsey. See ya. <laughs>